Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to JP Morgan's uh, At Any Rate podcast. I'm Meera Chandan from the FX Strategy team here in London, uh, and I'm joined by James Nelligan, also from FX Strategy in London as well. So um, this is our first uh, podcast for the year. Um, it's been uh, three weeks since he did the last one, and a lot has happened since then. Uh, so it does seem appropriate to stock take on uh, what the views were and how we are tracking against um, our baseline. Um, as a refresher for those uh, who are out of touch, um, in the year ahead outlook uh, that we published uh, for currencies uh, in late November, uh, we had outlined a fairly defensive view of the world. Um, the idea was that the relief in response to the Fed pause uh, would be short-lived, uh, in part due to U.S. recession risks that were uh, you know, sort of bubbling in the background. Uh, the idea was that as uh, 2023 progresses, uh, late cycle dynamics uh, would be the main tradable theme. Uh, so the view was uh, was dollar bullish, particularly uh, versus the vulnerable um, currencies uh, within uh, within G10 and uh, emerging markets as well, for that matter. But in G10, for example, European uh, Euro, CAD, Sterling were all uh, favored underweights. Uh, the exception to the bullish uh, dollar view was uh, the Japanese yen or dollar yen forecast uh, was in the low 130s. And the idea there was uh, cheap valuations, a BOJ pivot, uh, slowing um, uh, Fed rate hikes should all uh, be quite supportive of yen. Um, uh, beyond the dollar, uh, the expectation, broadly speaking, uh, for the DM world was that high hold wouldn't bode well for um, for several high beta currencies that were highly levered, and that included the likes of Scandies and New Zealand, etc. Um, so, you know, since we published um, this uh, this year ahead outlook in November, a lot's happened. Uh, a few of these have actually uh, been uh, surprises, and I think the surprises in particular have been on the growth side. Uh, firstly, uh, the China reopening much quicker uh, than anticipated and uh, to a much uh, larger degree. Uh, second, I think the European um, uh, surprises to the upside uh, on the growth front uh, has continued. Uh, we were already flagging this as a major risk uh, in the year ahead outlook to our bearish euro call, and that has only um, uh, been accentuated uh, in the subsequent weeks. And we've seen that now with lower TTF prices and a continuation of warm weather as well. And uh, and finally, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the uh, the inflation downshift as well. I'd say uh, our economists had been uh, looking for uh, the inflation downshift across the board um, in the U.S. as well, uh, but certainly it's coming uh, in a bit quicker than expected. So all in all, uh, dare I say, it's starting to look a bit like a Goldilocks environment, and I'm sure I'm jinxed it now by saying that. Uh, but uh, when you look at the hard data in hand, that indeed seems to be um, the direction that we are leaning in. So overall tactical conviction on the broad dollar had been low to begin with, uh, continues to be quite low. But before we get into the dollar and the top-down view, let's just start with European currencies first. Uh, we have James Nelligan on to discuss that. And um, James, what's striking to me in the past month uh, is that Eurodollar has strengthened, the dollar has broadly weakened, but yet some of these high beta proxies for the European region are lagging uh, quite a bit. And of course, you know, when I say that, I have in mind sterling, scannies, et cetera. Uh, what in your mind explains this divergence? Yeah, sure. Thanks, uh, Mira. So I think, you know, there's some key domestic developments across these economies. Um, and more broadly in FX, there is there is a bit more of a focus on on regional catalysts with with slightly less beta being in the market. So if, if we start with the UK, 
I mean, if we look through Q4, you know, we had consistent wage growth upside surprises um, in, in the UK. So that that really speaks to the supply side issues in the labor market still being there um, in the UK. You know, vacancies still high, signs of labor shortage still there. So the stagflationary dynamics in the UK are, are still very much in play for sterling, uh, more so than other economies, I'd say. Um, you know, and you've, you've got the Bank of England still leaving the door open uh, for, for a 50 bit basis point hike in February, um, which is obviously not good for UK growth on the whole. Um, but bigger picture, kind of the, the way we think about sterling is from a balance of payments perspective, um, you've got the structural breaks in the current account. So tra- trade with Europe having not recovered properly after Brexit, business investment having not recovered to its, to its uh, pre-Brexit trend. So that just puts more pressure on portfolio side of the balance of payments for sterling, which is more cyclical, more volatile, more exposed to global growth. So that means sterling is, is exposed to those so those same variables. So thinking about that, it's it's been equity internals that have been more useful for modeling cable for us. So specifically the, the cyclical defensive pairs, um, so such as industrials, utilities, materials, utilities, which really squeezed up hard in Q4, very much in line with the sterling move. And what we've seen recently is those have come back off um, as as growth is undershot, um, and that's dragged cable back down with it. Um, so if you look at this week, for example, you, you've had the global PMI, the ISM, and the UK manufacturing PMI for December all, all move lower. So from a growth perspective, it still makes it hard for cable. Um, moving on for, to Scandies, um, that's really where our conviction is quite high, I think. So... Uh, we've had Euronoki break above last year's high uh, this week. Um, and, and like you say, Mira, that's come as Eurodollar has fallen. So it suggests it's a Noki specific issue. Um, what we've been pushing is, is a combination of themes, really. It's a, a notable deterioration in, in some of the key local data. So the regional network survey, which feeds directly into Norges Bank forecast. Um, and Norges Bank themselves having past peak hawkishness we think obviously the rate path came down at the last meeting we think that's that's only going to show deeper cuts from here we think um and then you've got the fair value model which we run where where Euronoki was running quite cheap anyway um we've got around 1085 on the model just using traditional drivers so so those kind of drivers we we think are, are pushing Noki to to dislocate from what's going on um like you say with with Europe um, and the fact that Noki's trading like this in January is quite notable as well, because January seasonality is very favorable for the Krona. Um, so so there's, those are the kind of things that we're looking at. I'd, I'd also just add that, that lower gas prices that, that Mira mentioned are, are have been, you know, they're a kicker for both sides of the Euronoki trade um, in terms of, you know, terms of trade, not only for Europe, but for, for, for Norway as well. Um, and then moving on to Sweden in, in, in Scandiland, um, so the housing market in Sweden is really what's been what's pushed uh, Swedish krona above and beyond where traditional flat drivers would would suggest it should be. Um, so on our models, Eurostock is overshot by a few figures. We think that is justified by the housing market. So the value guard house price index down 15% from its peak in March last year. So to give some kind of comparison, that that peak to trough move was was 16% in in the global financial crisis of 2008 so um it's a pretty severe housing downturn obviously driven by what the rix bank have done with the hiking cycle and now we've just added 
uh, 25 basis points to the terminal rate in terms of our, our Nordic, Nordic economist forecasts in response to, to the more hawkish ECB. So, you know, perhaps some more pressure on housing to come from that. Um, and then another conclusion from that is, is that rate spreads have narrowed. So Rick's bank is, is probably not keeping its typical kind of 50 basis point spread to what the ECB does, um, which is narrowed, narrowed rate spreads and, and, and weak and stocky. And I'd say from a bigger picture perspective, obviously Sweden is a, is a small open economy, very exposed to, to, to global trade. Um, and really it's the orders inventory cycle there that, that has had a big, big impact. So, Companies have, have a double ordered uh, during the supply disruptions. Um, so that's left them with bloated inventories um, at the same time as, as monetary tightening has really dampened the, the order book. So that's a, that's a double whammy for the, the order inventory spreads, which are quite influential for the manufacturing sector in Sweden. So um, that's, uh, those are kind of the, the main drivers that we're looking at for, for stocky. Um, and then finally, just for, for Swiss, um, Obviously, we, we have had that um, downside surprise in CPI this week um, to get to go along uh, alongside other downside inflation surprises in, in Switzerland and more broadly. Um, so the picture is more balanced. I mean, we are still bullish Swiss, um, but we, we are recognizing that you know European growth has stabilized, as Mira mentioned, and inflation has come down in Switzerland. But we do run an intervention proxy model, which suggests that even with inflation at current levels or slightly lower in, in line with the central bank's forecast, um, it does still imply buying of Swiss um, so, and, and intervention on that side. So, um, you know, that's that's keeping the view a bit more balanced. But but really, I think front and center of my mind is is the weakness in U.S. growth um, and the potential that that could have on Swiss from a, from a safe haven perspective. Um, especially with some of the numbers we, we've got this week. Um, so, you know, while I am cognizant of, of the bottoming in Europe, you know, I am I am uh, looking at, at Swiss from a safe haven perspective and thinking about what U.S. growth is doing and, um, and how that could could impact safe haven assets. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd say those are the kind of broad uh, themes. Um, just to just to hand it back to you, Mira, um, just to, to to ask about the dollar and the dollar view and how that's tracking and and. What do we think about the dollar from here? Um, sure. Thanks, James, for that. Um, so, look, for the dollar, our bullish view on the dollar in 2023 uh, was premised on things that are still very much a concern. They haven't really magically disappeared. Um, you know, these were things like U.S. recession risks. Uh, we are still seeing a deterioration in um, the survey data coming out of the U.S., even though the hard data has been better than expected and the employment data has been better than expected. I'd say some of the leading indicators within the surveys uh, are a bit more concerning. Uh, in addition to that, there are many countries, um, and as you've pointed out, uh, you know, countries like Sweden, and I would say even outside of the Euro bloc, um, countries like New Zealand and Canada, which are vulnerable to central banks staying on a high hold. Uh, the Fed is gonna be doing quantitative tightening. Um, these are all concerns that will continue to build as the year progresses, and that continues to be our baseline. But you know, as we as we also pointed out in the um, uh, you know in the year ahead outlook um, and in our recent uh, publications, the timing of uh, this will be quite important. And I'd say, you know, the the developments that we've seen uh, over the last uh, month to six weeks are actually 
the surprise is really more to uh, uh, you know the positive uh, side of things, both on the growth and inflation. Um, and I mentioned that when I kicked off this uh, podcast. Already when we were writing uh, the year ahead outlook in late November, one of the most awkward things about that um, that we talked about was that our growth signals had already started to neutralize and potentially turn upwards in some parts of the world, most notably uh, Europe. So, um, you know, with that in mind, any sort of tactical bullish dollar expressions we had were actually quite cautious um, and, and through options. And, uh, and you know, this cautious view is something that we were sort of highlighting even more so by mid-December. Look, where do we stand right now? Um, as I said before, an environment in which the U.S. growth forecast is getting upgraded, the European one, you know, our economists are flagging upside risk to our, uh, our 2023 forecast. China 2023 forecast has been upgraded as well. Um, inflation pressures are declining. Um, it's hard to look at this, all of this data in hand. And, uh, you know, it's hard not to come to a conclusion that this is actually turning out to be a Goldilocks type of environment and one that we had thought would be short-lived, but we have to acknowledge that it looks like uh, it could have more legs to it. Uh, and historically speaking, uh, you know, the, the most bearish times for the dollar have tended to be in, in these kind of growth environments. So we're, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're being patient uh, with, our, uh, with our sort of defensive view and legging into it. At the moment, I would say the conviction level is quite low on the broad dollar. And um, instead, the focus really is on non-dollar themes, I would say, um, you know, China reopening, uh, we've uh, upsized our Aussie longs on the crosses. Uh, the U.S. slowdown in general, the growth rotation away from uh, Europe and China uh, should be expressed via bearish view on CAD. Uh, slower Fed hikes um, and uh, lower U.S. inflation, I think, manifests itself into the Japanese yen longs. Um, and uh, the euro block underperformance is, as you pointed out, uh, currencies like the Scandies um, and the euro itself versus Swiss, I think, are all fairly, you know, relatively um, strong expressions of our worldview right now. So I would say focus is really more on RB at the moment um, and on some of these regional thematics rather than the broad dollar where the cross currents from both growth and inflation um, are, uh, are really making things quite a bit more uh, tenuous. Uh, that is the broad question that is being asked of, uh, you know, is the dollar really undershooting here? Is it explained by fundamentals? And, uh, you know, we've done a fair bit of work on that. And it seems to me that, um, um, you know, the dollar is undershooting modestly. Uh, you know, a large part of the dollar move is explained by the U.S. underperformance relative to the rest of the world. Uh, and the undershoot in the dollar, which is modest, I would say, uh, is suggesting that the FX markets are pricing in about a half a point to one percentage point improvement in global growth. So it's um it's a decent um, undershoot, but uh, not not something that's entirely unreasonable um, given the macro currents and uh, cross currents in space in, in play. So uh, for now, um, staying on the sidelines for the dollar, aside from a few very idiosyncratic uh, themes, and then beyond that. Uh, focusing on non-dollar themes uh, that I outlined as well. Um, so with that, um, I'll stop here. Thank you so much uh, for uh, joining us. Uh, please have a look at um, our website if you need more information on our uh, published research. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Uh, please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2023 JP Morgan Chase and Company, all rights reserved. 
This episode was recorded on January 6, 2023.